You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Here's Palat turning, feeds back, ball, wrist shot, stop, Brad scores! We're not the one, we beat anybody, we're the devil, the devil! I'm a little disappointed, guys, just, you're supposed to be in spots they weren't in, now you're chasing the game. Yeah, we met with them. I'd like to be honest, and, and so uh, we, 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 we met with Shohei. It's a secret. Good morning, Vancouver 602 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Hey, dog. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. That was a good eclectic intro, Laddie. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer, Today, I did mention we are in hour one of the program. Uh, I did mention we are coming to you live from the Kintech studios. Jason's here to tell you more. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. One, two, three guests today on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. It begins at 6.30. Jeff Merrick. Host of the Jeff Merrick podcast and the 32, or sorry, Jeff Merrick show and 32 Thoughts podcast. Uh, he'll be joining us to talk about a variety of things. The leftovers from day two of the Board of Governors meeting. Some pretty big news there as it pertains to international competition. We'll talk to him about the Hughes Bowl last night in Vancouver as well. We'll go through all throughout the league with Jeff at 6.30, 7.30. Craig Morgan from PHNX Sports is going to join us. We've had him on the show countless times to talk about the Coyotes. And guess what? I know, we've never heard this before, but the Coyotes might have a new arena on the horizon. <laughs> well, we should also talk about the fact that we'll also uh, talk about the Coyotes. they're winning quite a few games, and I want to ask them, how are they doing this? Is it all Connor Ingram, or is there something else going on Michael Carcone, we can ask yeah, him Yeah, well, good old Michael Carcone, the one that got away. The former Utica Comet, Michael <laughs> Carcone. Is gonna, so uh, Craig Morgan at 7.30, 8 o'clock, Shai Davidi is going to join us, Blue Jays analyst for Sportsnet. As the Otani clock ticks, we will check in with Shai Davidi. Where are you on this one now, Greg? Are you, well, are you tracking flights? I just want to say that there is a caveat to the Shai hit. Oh. He might have to leave if something breaks during the hit. Now, what could possibly I break don't know. at 8 but o'clock in the morning Pacific Why time? would the lead insider of the Blue Jays be suggesting that? something, he, Some newsworthy, thi- newsworthy thing could break during his hit. Can you imagine if he like misses a huge story because he's doing a hit <laughs> on Halford and Bruff? I would be a, if, o, if Otani signs and he's on our show, he would never speak to us again. Yeah, yeah. I'll be like, Shy. I know you probably have to attend to this, but I wanted to ask you about Vlad Guerrero Jr. No, okay. Uh, so working in reverse, eight o'clock, Shy Davidi, seven thirty, Craig Morgan, six thirty, Jeff Merrick. That's the program. That is what's happening, Laddie. Let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. Ah, Jesper Bratt. You ruined an otherwise great night, my friend. He scored his second goal 
of the game with 35 seconds left in the third period. That's what the New Jersey Devils needed after blowing a three-goal lead. They defeated the Vancouver Canucks 6-5 at Rogers Arena in the Hughes Bowl on Tuesday night. Yeah, this looked like last season. First part of the game certainly looked a lot like last season with all the defensive breakdowns. Um, Let's go over the list of bad plays, bad pinches. There are bad pinches that resulted in multiple odd man rushes. Uh, Opponents uh, a few times being left wide open in front of the net, in front of Thatcher Demko, who who didn't play particularly well, but... uh, he also wasn't given much. We were. It was almost like the last season debate where you're like, is it him or is it the guys in front of him? Is it both? Is it none? It's definitely not none. Uh, lost puck battles in front of Demko. Uh, for whatever reason, the Devils are not a good matchup for the Canucks who seem to have trouble with teams that play with pace. Yeah, They seem to really panic when teams start buzzing around. They don't like the buzzing. Maybe they don't, they don't like bees. They don't too like much buzzing. The, too much buzzing. Uh, but Rick Tockett, the head coach afterwards, wanted... To hear none of that about the Devils, he was very concerned with how his team played. He was, uh, I'm bringing out the word flummoxed again. Flummoxed. He was just like, I, I'm telling these guys like over and over, this is system stuff. Um, and, you know, on, on so credit the Canucks for um, coming back in that game. They made it very exciting. Uh, they gave the people that paid money to go watch that game and everyone who watched it on TV. Um, they gave them some entertainment value when the Canucks did tie it up. That was a great moment. Quinn Hughes made a great play at the blue line, uh, an incredible play to cut back. Uh, I think it was on Timo Meyer. Get a puck on that. And Nils Hoaglander, who did play well, um, bangs it in and the game's tied. But then it's right back to the start of the game, mm-hmm. right? And if you look at the, uh, the, the winning goal that the Devils scored, go watch it on the replay. I'm sure some of you have already. Ian Cole who I guess was playing the right side, um, just threw it up the wall when there was mostly devils there. Dakota Joshua got pinched off by the four-checker, and it goes right to the point. It was like a weak clearance to a guy. If it was intended to Dakota Joshua, it was a tough position to put him in. Uh, Joshua didn't get it. The devils get it instead. Uh, they throw it around, and eventually uh, they get a shot on net, and it's a bad rebound by Demko out to Jesse Bratt, who was wide open again in front mm-hmm. of the net and just banged it in. If you look at the alternative, it all started with the Ian Cole play. If you look at the alternatives, um, Ian Cole should have recognized that the Devils had numbers, that he was not going to be able to clear it in an effective way, and he had the time to just reverse the play. Or at the very least, just eat the puck, mm-hmm. right? Instead, he throws it up the wall on a weak play. And that's what Rick Taka was talking after. He's like, we had time. I don't know what we're doing on that play. And he said that all five guys on the ice were to blame. Um, you know, they all started running around. As soon as the puck went to the Devils, all the Canucks are like, ah, hair on fire. Like, I don't know where Philip Peronic was going, but he was chasing around. Petey wasn't doing anything. Petey was just standing there. He wasn't doing He's the center on that play. He's got to take someone. Um, it was uh, it was a messy, sloppy, entertaining game that looked like a lot of Bruce There It Is games, and we know that the team doesn't want those games. Yeah, Tockett complained incessantly about guys not being in their right spots, and he wasn't happy, well, with pretty much all of it. Um, he was asked an interesting question because he talked about the Devils being a bad matchup team for the Canucks, and I 100% agree. They look too fast for the Vancouver Canucks. but Buzzy. 
Tockett, buzzy. yeah, they were very buzzy. But Tockett wasn't exactly willing to give the Devils the credit for the four goals in the opening period. In fact, he was posed the question by Sportsnet 650's very own Thomas Drance asking about the stylistic matchup and whether this is about the Devils and how pacey they were, like they were a championship side from Scunthorpe or something like that. <laughs> and instead was asked about, is this a case of Vancouver giving up the goals? Because remember, it was a bad pinch by Hironic to make it one nothing. It was a bad Myers turnover in the first of a series for Myers on the 2-1 goal. And then Bluger, I think it was a bad face-off. And then bad coverage in the aftermath on the 3-1 goal. So there were mistakes abounding for this team. Like you said, it did look like Bruce there at his hockey. Do we have the audio here, Laddie? Here's Rick talking in one of the many, yes, flummoxed, and I'd say kind of irate remarks he made following a uh, 6-5 loss to the New Jersey Devils on Tuesday night. Uh, this would be talking about all four goals that they gave up to the Devils. We will play that now. Here's Rick Tockett from last night. Well, it was on us. I mean, listen, yeah, credit. I'm not taking away they got the four goals, but we gave four goals. You can't have three guys in a corner of the first goal and leave the front of the net. Like, that's, not, that's not our system, and we've been slacking a little bit on that. And, uh, you know, we, it's on us. It's on my, it's on my ass. So i got to get these guys to do it more often. He said a swear. Well, kind of a swear. But anyway, I think the larger point here is that in about three and a half minutes of post-game press remarks, Rick Tockett sounded about as angry as he has throughout this year. There would be a variety of reasons for this. The first is that all the defensive breakdowns that we saw last year reared their ugly head. And in very uncomfortable and not great uh, reminders from last year, a lot of the mistakes led directly to goals. They gave up eight shots in the first period. And had four goals against. And Demko wasn't to blame. I mean, he could have done better, but it's not like you're hanging those on the goalie last night. Yeah, the Canucks have a day off today, too. Which, um, you know, there's a certain amount of days that they have to get off. Uh, uh, the NHLPA will, you know, have have words with the league if they don't get enough days off. So there's a certain amount of days. I don't know how many days it is, but they have a day off today. Um, I'm sure Rick Taka would love to be practicing. Because the Canucks have another home game on Thursday against the resurgent Minnesota Wild, who have not lost. Uh, they beat Calgary last night. They haven't lost under new head coach John Hines. And, you know, th- what talk it said after the game, there's a lot of system stuff, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm sure he'd love to work with them, but they're going to have the day off uh, today. So uh, no practice. Um, let's talk a little bit about Andre Kuzmenko. Now, the guy might get more than one day off, if you know what I'm saying. Now, by no means was last night on Kuzmenko, but he certainly wasn't part of the solution. And when he got less ice time, the Canucks came back. And that's not a good look nope. for Andre Kuzmenko, who finished minus three on the night. And he just isn't doing the things that Rick Tockett wants him to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nils Hoaglander replaced him on... Um, who was it? Was he? Yeah, he was with... Uh, was he with Miller and Besser? Yep. Or, uh, yeah, okay. Yep. Right, yeah. He went on that line. And he was causing havoc yeah, on and that he, line. And he and he did well. Um, I'm a little jumbled, as was Rick Tockett, with all the lines and the pairings. Like, Tockett was asked after the game, like, what did you think of the of the new defensive pairings? Because they changed him after the first. And he he was hated like, him in the first. He knew that. But he, he was like, I don't even know what they were. Yeah. I was focused on the forwards. Adam Foote was doing the defensive pairings. It was a jumble last night. And and I think um, we'll get to Tockett's audio on Kuzmenko in just a bit. But if you think about the last two home games for the Canucks, they were both um, hyped-up games. 
against Vegas and New Jersey. Vegas because they're defending Stanley Cup champs. New Jersey because it was going to be the Hughes Bowl. And, you know, New Jersey's a pretty good team that's given the Canucks a lot of trouble yep. over the last few years. Both games, they came out badly. Both yep. games, the Miller line got beaten by the other team's top line. And both games, the Canucks ended up chasing. Yeah. Now, ten, in, the Vegas game, in the Vegas game, they couldn't chase down the Golden Knights. In the New Jersey game, they could. Um, we all know that New Jersey has not been great defensively this season. Their goaltending hasn't been very good. And again, limited credit to the Canucks. Well, a little bit. Of, I mean, they made the game entertaining. And they came back and they actually tied it. But then it was immediately back to whatever they were doing in the first period which wasn't good. So it's two straight home games now mm-hmm. where the Canucks have had a test, a hyped-up test, and I'd say they've, they and I'd say they failed both those tests fairly badly. Mm-hmm. Like the Vegas game was bad and the start of the New Jersey game at the end of the day it buried them. Um let's play the Kuzmenko audio now. It's a very short clip, but Rick Tockett was asked about Kuzmenko's deployment again because having now put him back in the lineup for a couple nights, Kuzmenko's gone right back into the doghouse. Three shifts in the third period, and as Jason mentioned, didn't play when the Canucks were mounting what was a pretty thrilling three-goal comeback, led in large part by the guy that was replacing him on his line. So uh, this is Talkit, real short on Kuzmenko, really starts out about how he doesn't even want to talk about the guy anymore. That's not a good situation. Rick talking on Kuzmenko now. Uh, I'm tired of answering questions about him. We came back. You know, It worked out. You know, Kuzi's got a, you know, he's got a fortune. He's got he's got a forecheck. Let's let's start with that. So where does that leave Kuzmenko for Thursday's game against the Wild? Uh, I guess Phil DiGiuseppe was the healthy scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, would you start the game with Hoaglander, with Miller and Besser? I probably would. And then are you going to break up? I don't want to say break up like they're a wagon right now, but Sam Lafferty probably deserves to be with Petey. And Mikheyev's probably not coming off that line. So where does that leave Kuzmenko? He's not a bottom six player. You're also not going to, I thought, uh, you know, uh, Dakota Joshua played well. And he's on a line with Connor Garland and Teddy Bluger. Well, you're going to have a fourth line with Andre Kuzmenko on it? I, 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 I bet. The, I bet that Di Giuseppe comes in and Kuzmenko goes out. I would not be surprised if that's the play. And if it is, then we are going to get our first real intriguing moment of the Rick Tockett coaching era. And by intriguing, I mean where like rubber meets the road. Like there was no pressure last year, right? I understand he took over a terrible team and just basically was installing systems and getting him prepped for this season. And then even when he scratched Kuzmenko last year, the stakes were low. Like, you could drop him from a game, but, like, who cared? Because the wins and losses didn't necessarily matter at that point. And the explicitly stated goal of trying to get to the playoffs wasn't there. If this team's going to be a playoff team, they need their fourth highest paid forward to be doing a hell of a lot more than what he's doing right now. I think that's – no yeah. one's going to argue with me on yeah. that. Is anyone going to push back that Kuzmenko's carrying his weight? But I really do think that a lot of it's related to Petey. And PD not being able to drive that line. He doesn't seem to be able to drive well, that line. If you listen to talk it, it's <laughs> there's a lot more than just like a line mate letting. Oh, I'm not blaming. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not blaming it a hundred percent. I'm blaming. I'm. I'm blaming part of it. I just on, think PD just doesn't. He doesn't look himself. You know how um, talk it says like he wants 
his players, and he's usually talking about the forwards, to like demand the puck. Yes. And JT Miller was doing that last night. And Miller was far from perfect last night. You know, his line was out there as the matchup line. But he was, he was first, driving it in the third but he, period. But he was like, he was like, give me the puck. Mm-hmm. I want the puck. And we're going to go. And we've seen PD do this. Now, whether it's injury, the Canucks have said it's not. Um, now, they might be lying about that. No. To protect the team. We've seen that. We've seen that happen before. But right now, PD is just not his best self. Right? He's not terrible. He picked, right. He's managing to pick up points, picked up a couple of more points. He's got three points in his last two games. Last night. So it's not like he is a complete zero out there, but it's an eye test thing. You're I just watching like, it, and you're just like, where's the confident Petey that we saw earlier in the season that wanted the puck and, and would dance through the neutral zone and be like, where's that guy? My follow-up question to that would be, if you're seeing this, and I think we all are, why does it not translate to a decrease in ice time or deployment as opposed to Kuzmenko where it is? I mean, we're talking dropped off the face of the earth type demotions. Well, I think Kuzmenko is demotable. I don't know so if there you, you go. I don't know if you can Well, no, you answered I don't the know question. If, I don't know if you can sit PD, right? Exactly. You answered the question. Or this you, is exactly, just, yeah. This is the He's dynamic. also not playing as badly as Kuzmenko. Kuzmenko is is uh, out there uh, but, at, at five on five, and he's not perform. He's not. He's useless in a lot of cases. But you know why sometimes someone becomes the whipping boy because they can be. Some people yeah. can be whipping boys, and some people can't be. That's the reality of the situation. Well, it's the same with Tyler Myers, right? People are like, "Sit, Tyler Myers," and I'm like, "I would love to see that because Tyler Myers." But he was, listen, he, he, he does was, do. He was some, trending nationally on oh, Twitter man, last he's, night. He's a gong show, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But like, talking like, can't. But talking what are you going to do? There. Like, like it's like Mark Friedman comes in. Right, right. Talk it Is Mark Freeman going to play 20 minutes a night? Do you think maybe they will switch up uh, or, or break up the pair of uh, Myers and Zadorov? Because uh, they play yeah, well, similar. They did last night. They well, did I mean, last I mean night. sorry, I mean, I mean, permanently, like not yeah, ever they, put them together again. Well, they might have to, right? Yeah. I, I think after that game, uh, the pairings are, I thought Hronik was bad last night. And I keep saying, like, I want to see this guy play without Hughes before the Canucks end up giving him an eight-year, $56 million contract or whatever he's going to get. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know what I mean? Like you can't. I I I think there's. I think the problem with the Canucks, and as good as their start has been, as encouraging as their start has been, is they're still a few players short. Right? They're a top. They're at least one top six forward short, mm-hmm. and they're at least one top four defenseman short. And last night you see the effects. Right? You, you imagine if they had one one more legit top four guy, and Tyler Myers wasn't in the lineup. Mm-hmm. Like, that would make a world of difference. They still don't have two pairs that you can trust when Hughes and Hronick are together. Yeah, I mean... I, the, and there's was, holes in the top six. It's yeah. the same issues, right? Right. I mean, we're look, here's what you need to know right now, is that if you could... The Canucks have 26 games played, right? You can split their season into two 13-game segments, and you can get the entire synopsis of this year. In the first 13 games of the year, they went 10-2-1. They were off to a blazing start. They picked up, not max points, but pretty close to as many as you can over a 13-game span. Over the last 13-game span, they're 6-7-0. and They're a lot more... Look, they're a lot Which more isn't look, a collapse. It's not a collapse. No, and people are misconstruing this. I see people texting in, calling them a shrinking violet of a team, and this team is a fraud, and the first 13 games were a mirage. No. That's how an NHL season works sometimes. There have been more NHL teams than the Vancouver Canucks who have used a 15... 13, 15, 17, 20-game streak where they heated up and then played 500 hockey the rest of the year, mm-hmm. right? Now, here's the thing. 
500 hockey, if you get a real heater somewhere in your year, can get you in the playoffs. And 500 hockey in the playoffs can keep you in a series. I mean, if you do the math, you play 500 in a seven-game series, you win three or you win four. The issue is, is that if you get a bad matchup in the playoffs, it can get away from you really quickly, which is why when these teams sometimes get in with the lottery ticket philosophy, right? All you got to do is get in. But sometimes you get in and you get a team that's a terrible matchup for you and you can't adjust and you can't play 500 hockey against them. For example, if the Canucks were to draw the New Jersey Devils in a seven-game series, <laughs> I think they'd be in big trouble. be a whole lot of buzzing. I just think that it'd be one of those ones that could get away from a team real easy. And you, But again... Well, Vegas would be a bad matchup too. There's a handful of them, yeah. right? I mean, that's the thing is that are you a team that can go on a nightly basis and beat anyone? And I think the most glaring things from this last 13-game set is that, and you brought this up earlier in the conversation, when the big dogs came in or the tough teams came in, the Canucks didn't show great, especially in the last two against Vegas and New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Didn't look good. Not at all. Last night was concerning for a variety of reasons. And for Rick Tockett, I think it's that a lot of the bad habits crept in and that you even mentioned on the, the Brat game winner, Nobody knew where they were supposed to be on the ice. Or, more distressingly, they knew where they were supposed to be, but they chose not to go there. They're running around. They just were They're doing, panicking. Yeah, and panic is a bad thing, right? I, Ian Cole could have settled that all down mm -hmm. by recognizing that he doesn't have the play up the boards. So stop, reverse it. Go, go watch it on the replay. Yep. See how many Canucks are open for a reverse, and then you just go out the other side and... It's out. Yeah. And, and then, instead you just you give it away. What must really frustrate Tockett is giving it giving the puck away cheaply. Yes. And when he talks about and he dropped the line again, he didn't say playoff teams don't do things like this, but he said, you know, good essentially, I'm paraphrasing, but good teams don't do things like this. He's talking about that six five goal. The one where you battle tooth and nail, you have a three goal comeback in the third period on home ice. The vibes were high. You saw Miller and uh, Hoaglander, like, just exploding when that 5-5 five, five goal went in because they knew it was a big goal. Yeah, they, that they was had... awesome. I was like, man, I wish I, I wish I was at the arena for that goal. And, like, that must have been, you know, that must have been electric in there. Playoff teams find a way to get that to overtime. Yeah. And get a point out of that. Yeah. Like that, they and, don't give it away. Well, they came out. Not even under pressure, you're giving it away. Like, the instant reaction should have been, I feel like the Devils might be pissed off here. We just They just surrendered three goals in the third period. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're going to come out with the next couple shifts and really try and put us back under pressure. It seemed like the Canucks didn't even consider that possibility. Because <laughs> as soon as it got to 5-5, New Jersey flipped the switch again, and there was all chances. Um, I was flipping back and forth between the Canucks and the Christine Sinclair send-off. And to the people that attended at BC Place last night, known as Christine Sinclair Place, Congratulations. You gave um, one of the greatest athletes in Canadian history the send-off that she deserved. And I'm sorry, 40, I just want to say 48,112 people in attendance. Apparently 40,000 of them were still outside when the match started because I saw the lineups. <laughs> Classic Christine Sinclair plays. Am I right, laddie? Classic Christine Sinclair. Yeah, attaboy. I stumbled uh, over that one. Canada end up uh, winning the game 1-0 over Australia, who had a much better side. Uh, than the one Australia had uh, over in Langford, where Canada uh, blew the doors off of them over the weekend. But um, it was just, um, you know, while the Canucks were doing their thing at Rogers Arena, um, it was it was heartwarming to see that show of appreciation. And I think it shows a couple of things that Vancouver, we really appreciate our sports heroes, 
but also we are a great soccer city. We really are. Mm-hmm. And I think we deserve more international games. We Toronto gets them probably. Toronto gets more of them because it's easier travel. Um, you know, when the, the Canadian men have their international breaks, a lot of them are coming over from Europe, and it's a lot easier to fly to Toronto than it is to Vancouver, or at least that's the argument. So Vancouver doesn't get as many games as we deserve, but mm-hmm. it was a terrific showing by Christine Sinclair. It was a terrific showing by all her current teammates and former teammates, and it was a terrific showing by the fans that show, that showed up. You know what, night. Jason? That's a really good point, is that there was two stories here, and one was about... Christine Sinclair, obviously, first and foremost. The second one was about the people that turned out to say farewell to Christine Sinclair. Mm-hmm. 48,112, the largest crowd ever, I'll repeat, ever, for a women's international friendly in Canada. And it wasn't in Toronto. Well, you think of the games that um, set the record for Canadian women. It was at BC Place of the yeah. World Cup. So there's proof in the pudding that this is a thriving community. That, and here's the important thing that will turn out, that will show up, that mm-hmm. will fill BC Place for these kind of events. More of them need to come, but that was a great one last night. So kudos to everybody involved. Uh, a very, very appropriate turn form. Turn up, show out. Yeah, all, the, all the things. All the phrases. Turn up, show out, turn out, show up. Either one. All the things. Okay, we got to move along here. All joking aside, let's get serious here. Uh, Jeff Merrick's going to join us at 6.30 on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, at 7.30, it's Craig Morgan to talk a little Phoenix Coyotes, Arizona Coyotes from PHNX Sports, sorry. And then 8 o'clock, Shai Davidi, the latest on the Otani hunt as it pertains to the Toronto Blue Jays. That's all coming up. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Tyler Myers. He was trending nationally on Twitter oh, last he's, night. He's a gong show. Myers collects, goes right wide left side for Zadora. Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. On a Wednesday, also known as the week, Greg found the hip hop Christmas album. How many tracks? He's gone mad with power. There's there's hundreds. (laughs) There's hundreds of these. I'm sure there is. Is there one that's like Run DMC Christmas? I I will find it. If if there is, I will find it. Christmas and Hollis? Yeah, yeah. This is all the genesis of this is Christmas and Hollis. They just can't say it. Has to be like Xmas on I don't know Long Island or something. <laughs> Six thirty four. Noted hip hop <laughs> borough of Long Island. Hey, lots of good groups came from Long Island. Anyway, focus, focus. Six thirty four on a Wednesday. You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet Six Fifty. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Right to the phone lines we go. Jeff Merrick, host of the Jeff Merrick Show and the 32 Thoughts podcast here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Jeff. How are you? I am well. I have a question for you guys. Go. Do you want to be a Christmas hipster? 
What does being a Christmas hipster entail? A Christmas hipster is the person that drops in the show or movie that maybe only they have seen, which is the best one ever. Right. Because I have a candidate for you. The Christmas hipster, we all Rudolph and Grinch and all that. Yeah, that's all fine. But if you want to be the Christmas hipster, mm-hmm. and I really do think this is the best Christmas movie I've ever seen, okay. uh, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. I don't. I know what those words are individually. Okay, I don't. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I've never to, heard them together before did, in a sentence, though. Jeff, to answer your question, no, I don't want to be a Christmas hipster. <laughs> it's the best Christmas movie of all time. It's a Jim Henson jam. Oh. It's fantastic, and so few people have seen this thing. I don't know why this thing isn't isn't uh, a more widespread Christmas movie. It may be the best Christmas kids slash. Hipster. Even your dog disagrees. He's whining with this. Uh, he just wants to go out. He just wants to go out. It's usually right around this time that we go for our walk, but I was, uh, my wife's not feeling well, so I'm sort of doing uh, double duty here today. So I'm trying to juggle the dog and getting the kids to school and doing radio hits and prepping the radio show. Maybe I should just throw them out. This does have big Muppet vibes to it. As a matter of fact, Emmett Otter's, totally. Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas was narrated by Kermit the Frog. It's so good. I'm telling you. I have to watch I'm this. I'm telling thing. you, this is, you will, as we like to say, you'll thank me later well, once I, you watch Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. There's no way that the conversation is going to get better than what we just did, but we're going to try. So okay. last night in Vancouver, uh, yeah. it, it looked like it was going to be a really exciting night for the home team, a three-goal comeback in the third period. Although apparently those are all like commonplace now. Three-goal comebacks in the third period is oh, just yeah. old hat. But before, oh, yeah. we, before we get to the comebacks that are raging across the league. So first 13 games of the season, Canucks go 10-2-1. They're off to this great start. Last 13 games after last night's loss, they're now a sub-500 team, 6-7-0 and in their last 13. Are they closer to the version that started this season, Jeff? Or are they closer to the one that we're seeing right now? I think they're closer to the start. Guys, don't turn don't do what Toronto does. Like don't don't do this. Now you're sounding like 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 Maple Leafs fans or people that cover the Maple Leafs where you're just waiting for that moment for everything to cave in. Like I don't think that anyone thought this was gonna be the seventy seven Habs or pick one of those Islanders teams or, you know, one of those nineteen fifties Montreal teams or one of those nineteen sixties Toronto teams. Like I don't think anyone thought that they were gonna, you know, rival Boston's record last season. I think this is just the normal ebbs and flows of a season and controversies of a season and, you know, players rising and players falling and players going through slumps and players going on streaks. I don't, I, I, I don't, again, maybe it's because I'm, I'm so, so arm's length from it and I'm not right mm-hmm. there living day to day with the Vancouver Canucks. Don't panic about this one. It's okay. Like this is a really good hockey team and this is a really good hockey team that's banked a lot of points and establish themselves as a really good hockey team in the NHL. I think they're closer to the start than they are to what we've seen recently, and that's mainly because when everything is clicking with their top guys, this is a really tough team to beat. Having said that, man, in the Western Conference, L.A. looks good, uh-huh. speaking of comebacks. Uh-huh. That was pretty impressive last night. They're, they're, they're 10 0 and on the road. I know. It's remarkable. It's, uh, it's the, uh, was it the 06 Buffalo Sabres whose yes. record they tied? Yeah. Uh, so, like, yeah, LA is looking. And I'll tell you what, I know we make a lot about that Dallas first line. Like, we should. Like, Hins and Robertson and Pavelski, they're awesome. But that Kopitar, that Kopitar line with mm-hmm. Quentin Byfield, who looks fantastic, and Adrian Campe, they might be the best line in hockey right now. It wasn't their night last night? It was more a bottom six story for the Los Angeles Kings. 
Um, but this was that that line game in and game out has been one of the one of the best in the NHL this season. Can we talk about the possibility of the Edmonton Oilers fighting back to get the second wild card spot, and then the Kings get the Oilers again? I think it'd be a different outcome this time, though. You think <laughs> don't so? You? Well, are, I don't know, man. Like, so, some, if, if so the Oilers deep. fight back to get the wild card spot, they're probably playing pretty good hockey at that point. The thing about the, see, I'm, I'm sort of reserving any sort of a, a lot of big comment about the Edmonton Oilers just because they have like no margin for error here. Like they are walking on the thinnest, thinnest tightrope. Like they cannot have like they cannot have any kind of losing streak now. Like they have to go on that Vancouver Canucks rip that we saw at the beginning of the season for the rest of the season. And not just to pick up points, but to jump over teams as well. And don't look now. Like we were, remember we were having the conversation about five minutes ago about, hey, can you get in the playoffs in the Western Conference with as few as 87 points? Maybe 89 might be, might be able to get you in. All of a sudden, you're starting to see Minnesota Wild are playing really well. Nashville's picking up points. Like all of a sudden, you know, the, the Western Conference didn't have a great start to the season, but all these teams are very much starting to pick it up now. So that is more pressure, even more pressure on the Edmonton. They, they cannot, they can't screw up. Like you can't even go on like a three-game losing streak. They'll just lose too, lose too much ground. Hey, Jeff, I don't know how closely you've been following the uh, Rick Tockett v. Andre Kuzmenko case. Oh, yes. Um, what, what, what do you make of it? Kuzmenko, I don't even know if he's going to be in the lineup. Thursday against Minnesota because yeah. Nils Hoglander might have taken his spot on Miller's line and Kuzmenko was already moved off of Petey's line. Uh, Lafferty has been a, a good addition for the Canucks, so he was up with Petey and Mikheyev yesterday, and I don't know if there's a spot for Kuzmenko in the bottom six, so you know, yeah. Thursday against Minnesota ro- rolls around a team that's playing a lot better under their new head coach John Hines. I wonder if Phil DiGiuseppe draws back in and Kuzmenko is in the in the press box for a third time this season. It would fit the spirit of what we've seen to start the season, right? Like, has this not been the season of big health bombs mm. by coaches? I mean, we talked a lot about the ones in Columbus, certainly. Yep. But there have been a lot of play, a lot of like big time players um, that are getting that are getting healthy scraps. Like, I, I don't think this is a matter of. Let me put it to you this way. Mike Keenan, when he coached in the NHL, would always do one thing when he got to a team. is He would find one player that he could make an example of to the rest of the team. He, generally, Mike would figure out where the power base is and who the main power player was, and he would get on that player as a way to establish you know, dominance. I'm the alpha here. I don't think this is that. I think that legitimately, you know, uh, I think legitimately Rick Tockett knows that if this team is going to do anything, they have to play a very certain way. And you saw like the first thing out of his mouth yesterday was what? He's got a four check. Yeah. Like that's like, we're we're talking about like the non-negotiables here. We're not talking about like the finer points of how he's playing. Like these are like the basic big things. I don't think this is a case of Tockett picking on someone, but I think that, I think that Rick Tockett has a very specific way that he wants this team to play. We all know Rick Tockett, you know, the player, the person, and, and Vancouver fans are really getting to know him as, as the coach. And he's not someone, like, when he played, he did not take his foot off the gas. And when he coaches, he does not take his foot off the gas. Some players thrive, and some players wilt. And some players surprise you. Like, he got the most out of Phil Kessel, and he was the same guy. 
Nick Hughley was still like, you know, very demanding and, you know, uh, at times harsh, but he got through to the player. So, I mean, this is, this is one of the more intriguing relationships I think to follow in the NHL. And, and I'm with you. Like I, I'm not sure whether he's going to be in that game against Minnesota. Uh, I'm not in the coach's office. Rick Tocca's not telling me what he's planning on doing anytime soon, but I'm with you. And it, and it should be, by the way, no surprise that he likes Sam Lafferty. Mm-hmm. Like that is like, like I, I remember when that, when that, when that move happened, it's like, yeah, that's a Rick Tocca guy. Like that guy, he can move his feet. He's got some skill and he's not shy. So that, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Okay. I know you said as with regards to the Mike Keenan comparison that this ain't that, but I, that's do, not that. I but I do have to say this. Uh, Rick Tockett is a huge admirer of Mike Keenan. As a matter of fact, I'm reading an article from the Washington Post in 1997 where he says that Keenan was, quote, the one who helped me become a scorer. He was a real motivator in my career. Now, as it pertains to Kuzmenko, we were talking about it earlier, and, you know, I said, hey, every coach has a whipping boy, and oftentimes it's not necessarily the guy that deserves it, but the guy that can be. Because some guys can be the whipping boy and some guys can't. And there's a variety of reasons why, and we all know mm-hmm. them. But the reality is is that sometimes there's a guy that you can criticize and make a, an example of, and there's some that aren't. And right now it seems like Kuzmenko fits in the former category. Yeah, a couple of things. About Mike Keenan and Rick Tockett, like, let's not forget, like, Mike Keenan gave Rick Tockett every single opportunity, not just with the Philadelphia Flyers. Like, you look at 1987 in the Canada Cup, and here we are actually talking about the Canada Cup score, 6-5 to five loss. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he, you know, he opened the doors for Rick Tockett on teams like 87. Anything international that Mike Keenan was involved in, Rick Tockett was coming aboard, right? And we saw, like, Rick Tockett go from... You know, a high scorer, tough player with the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds to someone who, you know, who, who got into the league and started, you know, fighting everybody. Like how many times do we see brawls with him and Scott Stevens yeah. with the um, with the Washington Capitals? Um, the thing about Tockett is, and I don't think people give him enough credit for this, he's really smart. And he, he really understands the pulse of players. And I think he understands new players as well. And I think he understands, well, it's clear that he understands what worked for Mike Keenan and Rick Tockett isn't going to work for Rick Tockett and just about any player in the NHL. Like you can't have a coach like Mike Keenan now. Like I, I, I shudder to think about what social media would do uh, if, if Mike Keenan were coaching right now. Like it wouldn't work either. You can't, it you wouldn't can't work. have it. And it wouldn't, and it work. wouldn't work. Wouldn't work. Right? The players because, have way more power now. They have, they have more power. And who, who's the first phone call to after the game? It's not yeah, your yeah. wife. Your agent. Your agent. Yeah. Right away. And yeah. it's 23 guys and 23 Ubers mm. at the end of the day, yeah. right? So, like, it, it, it's completely different. I, I just think that Rick Tockett is, honestly, like, I think, he's, I think he's too smart. I really do. I think that Rick Tockett isn't given enough credit for being a really in-touch and intelligent hockey person. Does he have a lot of old school in him? Yeah, but that's valuable, right? But that's valuable. But I think he understands that if you're going to succeed in the NHL, you have to adapt, and I think he's been one of the best at doing it. Whether it's behind the bench, whether it's in front of the camera on TNT, like we've seen it, right? We all know talk it now, and I, I think it's really impressive. That's funny. We have a WhatsApp chat for our hockey team, and uh, surprise, surprise, I am one of the older guys on the team. Most of the guys are in their twenties or or thirties, and so one of them asks in this chat, like, "Was talk it a fighter?" 
when he played. <laughs> oh boy! And I was like, oh my god, here comes the history lesson from Bruff. Like I showed, okay, so- I, sh- I I had a screenshot of like his hockey DB when he had like, you know, he was like a you know they don't make thirty goal three hundred pim guys anymore. Yeah. I showed the the, the fight he had with Probert when he was like headbutting Probert, which you can find. Oh, yeah. Like I mean, like he was. He was a nasty piece of business out there, but so like, uh, I, I sometimes wonder what his evolution has been like because I don't really consider him a super old school coach. Like, I think he's accepted that times are changing, but there are certain non negotiables, like you said, and he said that before, that you have to do because hockey is still a very tough game. Yeah, I think that. Uh, well, first of all, I hope he showed them the Wendell Clark fight. Because that was the best fight ever at Maple Leaf Gardens. And also, if you're going to show some Rick Talk and stuff, you got to show his war with George McPhee. Like, that's like <laughs> the, the George McPhee fights are legendary. <laughs> Absolutely legendary. So those, those are some views. Okay, Listen, I'll Google I, those. I, 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 think that, I think that when it comes to Talkit, I think that he under, like essentially what coaching comes down to is two things. Teaching and communication. And they're inextricably linked. And I think what Tockett is able to do is, you're right, like these are the non-negotiables. This is how you play hockey. I know the game of hockey right now has a fresh coat of paint and looks different and is played differently. But when it comes right down to it, like what's the role for a defenseman? Puck goes in, puck goes out. What's the role for a forward? You know, get, get the puck in and support and create scoring chances. Like there's a new type of language that we use to describe what we're seeing and we have a lot of fancy terms and different ways to measure success right now. But you know, how many times have you, have you heard other Rick talk or other coaches say, you know, hockey is really simple. It's a really, really simple game with really simple concepts that we tend to make, you know, that we, we tend to make a little bit more complicated. Like I love listening to, to Derek Lalone talk. So the Detroit Red Wings coach to me is one of the best coaches in the NHL. And you hear him talk about what he was part of with the Tampa Bay Lightning with John Cooper and, you know, what he is as a head coach now with the Detroit Red Wings. And, you know, I was on the coach's site not too long ago, and he's talking about, you know, power play philosophy. And the Detroit Red Wings have, like, maybe the most simple power play structure in the NHL. And Lalone talks about how we overcomplicate it, we overthink it, we want to put our signature on it and all that. But power plays are pretty simple things. You know, it's, it's be ready for shots and it's puck retrievals and that's it. Everything else is sort of ancillary. So I, I think that Tockett understands what hockey is at its root level and also has a way of communicating with players. And I think too, and this is where I always go back to, you know, whenever coaches are quote unquote out of a job, I think the best thing they can do is, is get media gigs or appear on television or appear on, you know, as close to the game as possible. So players get a sense of who you are as a person. I mean, everyone saw Rick on TNT, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. everybody. And he was excellent and he was great. And if you're a player and you're watching Rick talk it on that panel, it's not part of you saying like, I could play for that guy. Like I always think about that. Like when you see a coach on a panel as a player, what are you thinking? And as a coach at that moment, are you saying I'm auditioning for 700 players in the NHL? And if you're, Quinn Hughes or JT Miller or whomever, uh, and you're watching Rick talk on the TNT panel, are you not saying to yourself, I'd love to play for that guy? Mm. I would imagine they would be. I'm now down a uh, hockey fights rabbit hole. 
<laughs> so, You've been talking away, Jeff, and Halford's I, just been watching fight videos on YouTube. A, He's probably talking about I that had, Christmas movie again. I don't even know. I had a, feel, I had a feeling I should just filibuster because you might be going down Rick Pocket. You, you, you I didn't know that him and McPhee had a thing. That was new. I didn't know that it either. It was glorious. The first oh, fight's man, ridiculous. Listen, I lost track of tw- 27 punches landed by Tockett. Yeah. Oh, I- no, dude. Like, the, the George, like, George McPhee <laughs> might have been, pound for pound, the toughest player in the history of the NHL. I am not joking. Gary Howitt would probably be up there, too. But as far as, like, pound for pound, like, look how much size McPhee is giving up in those Tockett fights. Oh, a lot. I, I know. I'm, but, wa- I'm but also. He, but does he buckle? But does I, he no, buckle? No, no, I no. keep forgetting that Tim and Adam Foote standing together on the bench. Yeah, by the way, is like it's the hilarious. most intimidating <laughs> coaching <laughs> pair in NHL history. I think. I think they could all take every member of the Canucks okay. still. Right? No like, problem. Still, okay. No problem. Sometimes, like maybe they say that. Like, I don't if, care. If you guys don't start playing better, we're going to beat you up. Like, is, <laughs> is that a coaching tactic? Here's my here's my Adam Foote thing. There's one, there's, there have always been two areas of the Hockey Hall of Fame where I found that it's fallen down. And they're starting to repair it now by putting more goaltenders in. But you know the one area that, doesn't, that the Hall of Fame still hasn't woken up to? Defensive defensemen. Now, mm-hmm. Kevin Lowe got in. Rod Langway got in. Yep. Leo Boyvin is in. But as far as, like, the defensive defenseman, the defenseman that has, a, has the nerve to defend and not just put up points, <laughs> I, think, I think Adam Foote should be in the Hall of Fame. We need a trophy for them. I, I, listen, I'm fine with that too. I yeah. mean, Sl- Jacob Slavin would win it every year, but that's fine. <laughs> I, I, I honestly think that Adam Foote should be in the Hall of Fame. Like, I know that he was on a star-studded team, and Rob Blake got a lot on the blue line. And look at the murderers row of forwards, whether it's you know Sackick, Forsberg, or right down the list. But I think Adam Foote was crucial to that Colorado Avalanche team in his entire career. Like the guy that defends. Like you look at how all these teams have won Stanley Cups. You look at all the teams that have recently won the Stanley Cup, what they all have in common, they have blue lines that know how to defend. Yeah. The one consistency through all of them. Break up the cycle. That is a big all one. All of it. That, that Taka talks yeah. about a lot. And also yeah. maybe cover a guy in front of the net instead of leaving him wide open, which was the story of the Canucks last night. Jeff, that always was, that great was, to, to yeah. By, that was, by the way, that was a beautiful sloppy game last night. Yeah, you know what? This, I saw. I saw. I, it, I don't. I don't care for those anymore. I saw enough of them over the last few years. <laughs> you know what? I was enjoying the more structured environment that uh, had the Canucks I'm, winning earlier in the season. I'm loving missed assignments yeah. and Nemish throwing the puck up the middle in his own. Well, six five. It was like the '87 awesome. Canada Cup. Every game <laughs> was six five in that. Yeah, seventy two. Right, six to five. Henderson scores. Yeah, it's a beautiful. <laughs> it's a beautiful Canadian score. Just enjoy it. Six to five. The Canadian hockey score. I will not enjoy it because the Canucks didn't win. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, Jeff. We covered a lot of bases today. This was good. Enjoy the All rest right. of the week. See you, buddy. Thanks, boys. Talking seven. See you later. Jeff Merrick from the Jeff Merrick Show and the 32 Thoughts Podcast here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Man, we have a lot of texts coming into the Dunbar Lumber text line, and the good news is we have an open segment on the other side where we can dive in to some of these texts. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, text in to the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Butus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. One question, um, unsigned text here. Uh, good morning. Wondering what your confidence level in Ian Cole is lately. After a really solid start as a Canucks, as a Canuck, his recent play has been okay, but scattered with untimely penalties, careless mistakes passing, and decision-making concerns. I, I, I agree with you. Um, I thought Ian Cole was great to start the season. I think he's 
tailed off a little bit. And maybe that's, um, I, I mean, does he have a consistent defensive partner? Is he sometimes on the left side and sometimes on the right side? Uh, he did make a bad play on New Jersey's uh, winning goal last night. We've already talked about that, throwing the puck up the boards when he really should have just recognized the situation and maybe reversed it to his wide-open teammates and gone out the other side. Um, I think he was probably playing too much. I mean, this is not a guy who throughout his career has consistently logged 20 minutes a night. It uh, just it just uh, hasn't happened, right? There's a reason that Ian Cole was available for the Canucks to sign him on a one-year $3 million deal. Yeah. He's he's like he's he's a journeyman defenseman yeah. who is good in his role as long as his low his role is limited. Again, people, people the, understand how this the Canucks works. still have two <laughs> legit top four defensemen. Yeah. After that, you know, even Zadorov, right? Like his his role hasn't been in the NHL playing twenty minutes a night. It was the same thing that we said about Carson Soucy when he when he came in. So the Canucks have all these defensemen where. You like them if they're playing, I don't know, 16 minutes a night. Mm-hmm. Anything more than that, you're kind of like, oh, now you're getting into problem areas. So uh, they've still got to figure out a lot on the back end. Their, their back end still doesn't fit together like it really should. So we're going to go into the Dunbar Lumber text line uh, coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show. Craig Morgan is going to join us at 730 to talk about the Coyotes, who all they seem to do is beat defending Stanley Cup champs, um, and also might, might, don't fall for it again, though, might have a new arena solution down in the desert. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.